You got some drippage going on over there. That beer basically exploded on me. What the hell? Well, what is up, everybody? Welcome into Living Off the Land, episode 258. Uh, here while I dry myself off. Hey, hey, uh, Steve, it's it's Wednesday night. You know what that means? It, it means eruptions. Jeez. Whether you're in central Mexico or you're here in Parma Heights, Ohio. Uh, yeah, there's... <laughs> There's a lot of CO2 erupting tonight. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah. I, did, uh, so I, I, did, I didn't shake it or anything. Huh. What's going on over here, Dan? What, what's, I don't what's know. Beer? I'm apparently a mess. Mm. I have no hair, idea what's going on. You got on. beer. You're just wearing a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, I got champ's hair in my mouth. What, the, what is going on? <laughs> in your mouth. Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> Settle down. Easy. Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> this, this episode's off to a rousing start. Uh, <laughs> this is episode 258, as I said before. Thank you, guys. Uh, we were off last week. Uh, we are into the dead of the sports season, essentially. Baseball, it's, it's May. Baseball is going on, but nobody cares. If you're a hardcore NHL or NBA fan, this is pretty cool time. Otherwise, yeah. I mean... But we're, how much... We will talk about the NBA playoffs tonight, but how much do we really want to talk basketball after the way the Cavs just it just really just sucked just the life out of the, the NBA postseason didn't oh. it? you know <clears throat> it just totally did and you know there's other stuff going on like the Preakness stakes and the Indianapolis 500 and stuff like that but like yeah it's uh, you know uh, those little fringe sports going on I, what I what I, I do want to talk about later is this uh crazy story that happened at the PGA uh, this past weekend. Oh yeah, the, uh, PGA Championship was this past weekend as well. The, uh, yeah, uh, with the with the golf club pro, not only finishing top fifteen at the PGA, he did. We'll get into it when we talk about it. I think this is one of the most difficult feats in all of sports to do. Oh, I agree. And we'll talk about I know that exactly later. Exactly what you're talking about. We'll talk about that later. A little tease for you. A little tease to get you to listen to the rest of the episode. If you're a golf fan, you already know what I'm talking about, but. Anyway, as you guys heard, I cracked open a beer and it decided to overflow on me today. So I don't know what's happening, but I will beer. tell you what that beer is and what I'm drinking. No judgment. I will not. I will not hold it any hold anything against this beer. Uh, so anyway, I am drinking something we've had on the podcast before. This is a. As you've probably been able to tell on the podcast, I've been saying that a lot about beers, and I'm what I'm doing is I'm trying to work down the surplus of beers that I have for the podcast and Beer of the Week. As you guys know, uh, S- Steve's not a beer drinker, so he does not partake with me. My former co-host, we would go through a six-pack of beer. Whoever brought the Beer of the Week, we would go through it in an episode, no problem. I'm stockpiling beers because I'm the only one who's drinking on this podcast, so I'm trying to work it down. So if you hear some repeats, I try not to do any repeats uh, from like the same month uh, of the show. But as we move forward, 
trying to work down on the stockpile so that I can try so I can try some new beers. So tonight is one we've had before. It is from a local Strongsville brewery uh, that is on the north end of Strongsville, close to uh, Middleburg Heights on Pearl Road. It is the Brew Kettle, and I am drinking their major lager tonight. Uh, Not their minor lager, the major lager. That's right. So um, really not much to go over with this. It's a lager. It tastes like a lager. It's 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 good stuff. Uh, 87 uh, rating on Beer Advocate, which is very good. It's a traditional light American lager with a crisp taste, a slight bite of American hops, a clean and refreshing finish, the perfect game day beer. Now, obviously, this is a big what you would consider a baseball beer being it's aptly named major lager, which they play on the famous Cleveland baseball movie, major league. Uh, so this is considered a, this would be considered a great baseball beer, uh, even though the can is Brown's colors, but you could also drink this at a tailgate for a Brown's game. So, uh, very good. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and rate it a, uh, 7.2. And, uh, I, this is what I'm going to be enjoying. Uh, as we go through here on the podcast, hopefully no more spillage. But uh, if I spill this at this point, it's my fault. It's nobody's fault but mine. So, beer of the week, the brew kettle, major lager, 4.5% alcohol, uh, ABV, 9.9 IBUs. Um, get out to the brew kettle is also a great restaurant. They have really good food at the brew kettle. And, uh, yeah. The brew kettle has four locations in our area they're at 300 church street in amherst that's a fantastic location right downtown amherst a really nice quaint downtown uh, out in lorraine county uh 7850 menor avenue min menor 11 Attleberry boulevard in hudson and of course the strongsville location that you just mentioned on pearl road so mm-hmm. uh their actual brewery itself is at uh, 81741 sheldon road in middleburg heights so lots of local presence local footprint and i believe they are putting up a location in Canton as well. Well, the, so. the Middleburg Heights, that's that's not – you can't, like, go there. That's that's their, like, brewing that's, facility. That's the brewery, yes. So The actual facility where they make and can most of the beer. So, mm. yes. So that is Beer of the Week. Indeed, indeed, indeed. So this is Memorial Day weekend. This is a – coming up. <coughs> this is one of the primo get-out, do-things – in your local area and across Cook the region, um, and I, for better known neighborhood, the weather I should to, be great this weekend. I wanted to go back and kind of review some of the territory that we covered on more wide range. Uh, we haven't talked much inside the Cleveland city limits lately, so I wanted to just kind of we we went over these neighborhoods mostly one by one last year. We mm-hmm. hit like something like eighty eighty five percent of the city's territory. So I just want to kind of catch you up on, you know, what's been happening in some of these areas, what some of the trends are and how things are going. So first and foremost, I came across something really interesting in Cleveland Scene Magazine. Hmm. And this was a profile of Cleveland's neighborhoods and the amount of housing units uh, percent gain lost versus the population percent gain lost. Overall, Cleveland actually dropped by about 20,000 people from 2010 to 2020. Um, the distribution is actually kind of interesting when you overlay it with the <coughs> housing units. Um, I'll just tell you straight out that there were 
eight neighborhoods in the in the city that increased population from 2010 to 2020. Downtown had the biggest increase, plus 41 percent. University Circle plus 21 percent. Ohio City plus 10. Edgewater plus nine and Old Brooklyn plus five were your other large gainers. And then West Boulevard, Jefferson, and Bel Air Puritus uh, were also one to three percent gain. And then Cam's Corners was no change at all. So a lot of that, like whenever, wherever you have your main commercial corridors, basically downtown, University Circle, Ohio City, bonkers, buku growth. It, huge, great things happening. You've got high rises going up in University Circle and Ohio City. You've you got high rises going up in downtown as well. Uh, New Sherwin Williams Tower, which is you know going up downtown. Mm-hmm. That's not a residence, but obviously that's a major commercial point. That's going to be like thousands of jobs. So all those areas doing very well. I do think the fact that Edgewater and Old Brooklyn, especially the Old Brooklyn, is doing well is is a good thing. And when we compare it with the crime statistics, I'll I'll overlay it with that. I'll get to that in a second. That will explain some of that. But um, because Old Brooklyn isn't usually mentioned as one of your top primo, like, you know, the hip youngsters, you know, the young professionals aren't really moving there. But so what's really driving that? It's just, you know, it it is fascinating that Old Brooklyn is doing very well. And again, same thing with Bel Air Puritus and West Boulevard. Those are two other neighborhoods kind of running along the north side of I-71, there is, it's not really considered to be super desirable territory, but again, in Jefferson too, which is, you know, territory just south of I-90. And, you know, pretty much the whole west side is kind of doing okay. Even Cadell, which, you know, this is this was the part of town, this is where Tamir Rice was shot. Um, that's pretty much anybody remembers out of Cadell. Cadell was only minus 2%. So you're really seeing almost the whole west side kind of congeal and connect. And the real estate prices kind of bear this out. Cleveland's overall uh, average home price for 2022 is 111,000, mm-hmm. which, if you compare that to the low of like just out of the housing and the economic crisis, you know, just before like 09, 10, that average was about 90,000. So if you go back all the way since then, that's like plus 22, plus 25 percent, mm-hmm. which is not bad at all. And it shows you that almost that whole west side, and especially <laughs> central, like Ohio City downtown, is doing well. I have to bring this up now. So you, some of these neighborhoods that are right close into downtown, Asia Town, Central, Tremont, and Detroit Shoreway, all gained housing units, as in there are more livable housing units in the area. They're all anywhere from 3% up to 8% up. Yet population slightly declined in all of these areas, minus two, minus three, and in the case of Asia Town, minus seven, which is actually a little more concerning. What's going on that people are saying is that a lot of the duplexes and dense housing in these areas has actually been torn down and been replaced by more lucrative, more expensive single family housing. Mm-hmm. So that's actually helping the home price go up, even though population is not necessarily going that way yet. The thought is is that we go into the next decade you're going to see a lot more investment in those areas, particularly Tremont, particularly Detroit Shoreway. And actually, you're seeing it a little bit in Asia Town too, even though it's that's not considered to be quite as trendy a neighborhood. You are starting to see some more locally owned businesses going in along St. Clair, along Superior, uh, as you get a little bit east of I-90. So it's, you know, you, you could maybe even make a case for that. But now I got to get to the bad news. Uh-oh. The east side was almost completely a wreck across the board now if you if you think about the east side you're thinking you got the more industrial side 
you know, post-industrial place like St. Clair Superior on the northeast side, St. Clair Superior, Glenville, Collinwood, um, as opposed to the southeast side, which is more residential for the most part. Um, places like Kinsman, Mount Pleasant, Buckeye Shaker, uh, Lee Harvard, you know, places like that. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the, the numbers, they are not good. On the southeast side, it was like minus 15%, minus 18%, minus 19%. Mount Pleasant was the worst at minus 19%. And then if you go to the northeast side, it's even worse. Glenville was minus 22 Collinwood was minus 21, and St. Clair Superior was the worst in the whole city at minus 25. That was literally about 5,000 people picking up sticks and moving out of St. Clair Superior. This is the area between roughly Euclid Avenue in the south, East 55th Street in the west, and Martin Luther King Boulevard in the east. Hmm. I Obviously, um, Lake Erie in the north. I don't even consider that to be, like, worst neighborhood in the city. I mean, I, there's other places I'd rather not be in more so than St. Clair Superior. It's just, you know, why is it happening like this on the east side? Well, the investment just hasn't quite been there on the east side, other than there is there is an exception, the Opportunity Corridor District. Uh, the Opportunity Corridor, of course, opened two years ago down the southeast side. This is basically going south from the Cleveland Clinic Corridor and connecting to I-490, you are starting to see some businesses going up in this area, mostly in warehousing and distribution. And, but also you have that major uh, – it starts with that major uh, Meyer market that's going up just to the south of the Cleveland Clinic main campus. So you are starting to see the seeds of that. But in the area that are not connected to Opportunity Corridor, it's still pretty rough. And if you look at it, this is from a, a – site called crimegrade.org it basically overlays the it's shame that we're not like on tv because i could actually present this but it basically color codes by area the amount of both violent crime and property crime in an area and there are some anomalies like the neighborhood around hopkins with hopkins airport in it is red which is an f i guess there must I don't know. There must be like a lot of petty theft or something going on at the airport. Like people are stealing bags off the carousel or something. Um, because all the area around it is either green, which is A, or light green, which is B. Yeah. So you, you do. And maybe there's something like that going on in downtown, too, because downtown was listed as an F, too, which I think is really bizarre. Like, do you feel unsafe downtown? Like, are you concerned at all when you go down there? No, but I'm also a white male. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, that's a whole other discussion right there. But, uh, yeah, yeah there, there's – boy, we could do a whole show on that right there. But, I'm all, uh, I mean, I'm also – I'm also rarely – rarely now, now that I'm in my mid-30s, I'm a homeowner in a suburb, am, am I rarely out and about, like, late in downtown Cleveland? No, I wouldn't think so. Not usually. Yeah. Um, Parma Heights, by the way, was given a B on the <coughs> survey. Yeah. Uh, Parma itself was also given a B. And actually, as I move up from there, Old Brooklyn was actually given a C, which was tied second best in in, in all of Cleveland on this metric. So that could exp- – with Edgewater. So that kind of could explain why – part of the reason why Old Brooklyn is actually seen as somewhat of a desirable neighborhood. It might just be quieter. and might just be more peaceful than the rest of the city in general. Um. Yeah, because if you look across the east side, extending all the way down, like Collinwood, F, Glenville, F, St. Clair Superior, F, mm-hmm. 
Um, if you look to the southeast, uh, South Broadway, F, Slavic Village, F, Kinsman, F. Once you get out toward Lee Miles, it's, you know, you, yeah, Lee Miles actually got a C. But that's the neighborhood on the far southeast side by Garfield Heights and Bedford. Um, which Garfield Heights, incidentally enough, also got a D, and Bedford also Bedford got a C. So some of the suburbs on the southeast side aren't even doing well either. But, um, you know, that's the sort of thing that if you're looking at trying to improve some of these neighborhoods, that's something definitely to look at. And then one other thing I did just want to bring up the home prices again. This is actually was done for the whole county. This was done partly by Zillow and partly by uh, Realtor.com. Median single-family home prices, if you look out in the suburbs, it was kind of weird on the east side. You actually had some areas on the east side like Beechwood and Hunting Valley and uh, Gates Mills actually had their average home price drop from 2010 to 2020, which I almost found incredible. But a lot of other places like Solon, Shaker Heights, University Heights, uh, Pepper Pike saw more than 10% growth over that time period. Most of the West Side communities like Westlake, Rocky River, Lakewood, uh, North Olmstead, Strongsville, all <laughs> saw plus 10%. So did some of the ones on the near South Side like Independence, Broadview Heights, and Brexville. Hmm. Um, the home prices are, are actually kind of encouraging. And a lot of this, if we were to extend this out to 2022, 2020, maybe not 2023 because the interest rates are kind of killing it off now, but... I mean, I saw a graph that uh, your brother had just sent us where the average cost of buying a home has gone up like 45% in the last, ever since the Fed started raising interest rates. Yeah. So that could be an across-the-board problem. But if you look at where a lot of this area is, you know, you're seeing some big-time increases like that as well in downtown, in the desirable neighborhoods, Ohio City, Detroit Shoreway, even though... Detroit Shoreway is a little bit of an anomaly. I don't know how Detroit Shoreway lost population. Everything seems to be pointing upward in that area. New housing units, uh, new businesses going in, particularly along Detroit Avenue and even along Lorraine Avenue. I, I was just at university, at um, Urban Community School for their 5K race just a few weeks ago. And that neighborhood, I, I say this every time I talk about Detroit Shoreway, because the first time I did that race was in 2011. It was part of the Hermes Road Race circuit that year. Mm-hmm. And that whole area, just like the road was beat up, it just all the buildings looked dilapidated. I, frankly, it didn't seem like a safe event in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Now, the, and this is the area around West 49th Street in Lorraine. That's where it started, and it goes up and a little bit to the east, like almost in toward Ohio City. I mean, I guess it's technically called Ohio. City. It's like on the border between Detroit Railway and Ohio City. That whole area has just transformed totally. There's so much new construction. Not all the roads have been, you know, resurfaced and everything, but a lot of them have. There's a lot of infrastructure that wasn't there before. Uh, it's only a matter of time before that whole area just booms, like Ohio City and University Circle have. Mm-hmm. It's only a matter of time. So you you got these pockets that continue to do very well, but again, like I kind of did as we did on neighborhood by neighborhood basis last year, the northeast and the southeast side are still struggling a lot and I just hope that at some point the community leaders in those neighborhoods and perhaps more importantly a lot of these investors who are pouring big money into Ohio City into Detroit Shoreway into Edgewater who are buying these expensive properties along Lake Erie 
and even University Circle, although that's certainly more commercial and you know is more tied with healthcare with Cleveland Clinic and UH being right there. I do hope that at some point some of these people see some of the potential in some of these neighborhoods, maybe along the opportunity corridors where it'll start and then it'll kind of branch out from there. That seems to be one of those like maybe as we get toward mid-century type of projects because there's going to come a point. I don't want to go. We don't get political on this podcast, but there's going to come a point where there's not going to be any water left in the West. Sea level rise and and massive hurricanes are going to hurt places like Florida. And some of these people are going to have to start moving back some places. And some of them are going to come back to the Midwest and places like Cleveland. And it's going to be the job of the government and community leaders to put us in a position to benefit from that. And I mean, that's as far as I'm going to say on that, but I feel very optimistic about Cleveland's future and the future of Cuyahoga County, even though all the numbers don't necessarily say it right now. If you look at where we are now compared to the seventies and eighties, where we were dropping like 20% of our population decade over decade, we're still in a much better position now. So fix to consider that. the damn west side market mm, that'll help for the love of god that was one of the big planks in mayor bibb's platform and yeah okay well do it let's go i understand there's bureaucracy that you got to fight through but we cannot lose that landmark can't i mean you can't have a city without a prime farmer's market yep I mean, you can, but it would suck. I mean, name 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 one major city in the country that doesn't have one. Oh boy, uh, I haven't been to every one, so I mean that. I, there's somewhat of a rhetorical question. I don't think there is one. I wouldn't think so. Maybe Detroit, but well, Detroit doesn't have a lot of things. <laughs> We're not Detroit. They have one in Pittsburgh. Oh. Probably. Mm. Um. <clears throat> okay. So, yeah, maybe that was a little bit weighty. Maybe I lost some of you on that. But, uh, you know, it's it's worth talking about. Well, as I kind of alluded to when we started the show, when I was a complete cluster, when I was spilling beer all over the place, um, we are in the doldrums of, my opinion, of sports season. Unless, like you said, uh, your team is either – in the Stanley Cup Finals or the NBA Finals right now. I mean, I guess technically we haven't gotten that point yet, but you know what I mean. Well, one of the teams in the NBA has. <clears throat> yeah, and that's going to be the team that's going to win the NBA championship. So um, no matter who comes out of the East, in my opinion. We were referring to the gold diggers, the Nuggets. The rich Denver, and creamy Nuggets. Uh, yeah. Who so swept aside the Lakers like they weren't even there. A Lakers team that had just beaten the Warriors and the Grizzlies. So, like, they belonged there. And yet Denver just made them look like they did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. It It's it's weird for me to say, I feel like, but that was, that was one of the most competitive sweeps I've ever seen in my life. I mean, pretty much every game was close at one point or another. Except for maybe game... Game three, Denver won by 11. Game two, they won by five. Game one, they won by six. And game four, they won by two. So, yeah, yeah only one game was double digits, and it was barely double digits. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, But anyway, sweep's a sweep. So that I, I'm i not trying to throw flowers on the Lakers, but... Um, well, they had a good run. 
You know, they 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 had a lot of people thinking that they could go all the way, and myself included. Yeah, I mean, going although into I, this, series, I will I will say I was, I I mean I was convinced and obviously proven right that they were going to dispatch of the Grizzlies, and then I, you took them over Golden State too, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I I was the hater. I didn't take them in either series. Yeah. Um, of course, I've been wrong about just about everything this postseason. It seems it just this round just goes to show you again. For whatever reason, this NBA postseason has been the most topsy-turvy, most difficult to predict. It's been like the NCAA tournament, I feel like, which is something you'd almost never get out of the NBA playoffs. I mean, who would have thought that Miami Heat, 8 seed, would have gone all the way to the conference finals and, and oh, by the way, be up 3-0 on the defending Eastern Conference champion, Boston? The Boston rallied back to win game four, so that series isn't over yet, but... The Lakers went to overtime in the play-in, and they ended up in the Western Conference Finals. The Heat were losing with about three minutes left against the Hawks in their play-in game, and they're now one game away from the NBA Finals. Yeah, they could have been out of the field entirely. Yeah. and if That's mind-blowing. And, and if the Hawks would have been in instead of them, they would have gone out in the first round. Probably. But... I mean, with Andy Gupo been out for three games, I mean, who knows? All bets are off. But no, I, I mean, no, I he could he could have he could have missed the entire first round, and they would have beaten the Hawks. You don't think Trey Young could have like no. gone for 40, no. 45? Even if he did, and... no. Even if he did, they still would have lost. Mm. There's something about Jimmy Butler in the playoffs, man. And again, I'm talking about that man, Jimmy Butler. Oh God. <laughs> uh, but listen, they have not finished the deal yet so i don't know listen there's something about that city of boston i'm convinced if this happens i'm convinced every single person in the city of boston boston that cares about sports have sold their soul to the devil 2004 they're the only baseball team in the only team in the history of baseball to come back from an 0-3 deficit. I was just going to bring up, do you think Boston has a chance to come from 3-0 back? I mean, you, a two-seed against an eight-seed, this is about as good of a possibility as you're ever going to get for this. I, I, you, you're, falling too, you're falling too much for the seeds. See, for me, I've the been seed, doing it all postseason. The seeds don't mean anything for me. In fact, you know, you and I bickered about the the Lakers Grizzlies matchup. I thought that those seeds should have been flip flopped. I mean, obviously, record wise, the Grizzlies earned the two seed, and the Lakers, you know, they made some last second trades at the trade deadline, so they really didn't get their season going until like the end of February. But it's true. Um, I just, and this is even before Dylan Brooks blew up during the series, and then afterward, yeah. John Morant clearly still just wants to be a gangbanger. So. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. Good God, he had he had a welfare check on him today because the stuff he was posting on his Instagram story. Um, but anyway, it's not here nor there. We're not going to be covering Memphis Grizzly stuff. Um, but yeah, I wow, I thought after the the second half performance in Game Three from the Celtics, I thought that they were dead and buried. I didn't even think they were going to show up in Game Four. A lot uh, of times, that's the case. Team gets blown yeah. on game three, goes down three nothing. They don't show up in game four. But then they, but then they hit eighteen threes in in game four, and they put on a second half performance. And now they're going back home, down three to one. 
And if they win game five at home, which at this point you got to think maybe they probably will, um, obviously they're still going to have pressure on them in game six because they're facing elimination from here on out. But the amount of pressure that's going to be on the Miami Heat at game six at home, knowing that if you lose, you've now lost you, three you three straight games and you got to go to Boston seven? for game seven. Oh boy. I mean, we're a ways away from that. I mean, you still got to play game five. Yeah, first. now listen, everybody talks, oh, well, Boston's going home for game five. Uh, did, did you forget that they lost games one and two at home to Miami? Boston has been awful this postseason yeah, on their home floor. I, I, think they're, I think they're below 500 in the playoffs at home. They lost twice against Philly. I think they lost twice in round one also. I mean, yeah, they'd be like five and six at home. Like, that's pretty rare that a team gets to the conference finals and they're in the conference finals and they have a sub 500 record on their home floor. That's yeah. very unusual. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I could very well see the, see the trend continuing and they just lay an egg in game five at home and the heat just, you know, win game five. That'd be very reminiscent of the Cavs. <sighs> I just had to they bring them up. Didn't you? Yeah. Bunch well, of this is a Cleveland podcast. So I, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> But Cavs season is dead and buried. Uh, I am trying everything to not bring up baseball right now in the Guardians. <laughs> oh, my God. Do they look like a bunch of dead dead men walking. Mm. Well, I, I mean, mean we, we sort of thought this could be coming even as far back as mid-April when their their pitchers were all going down injured. But it's not the – it's not the well – And then the bats just couldn't hit at all for – The bullpen has been bad this year, but – I mean, when you're scoring, when you're averaging three runs a game or whatever the hell the Guardians are averaging, like, your pitchers are putting so much pressure on themselves to basically be perfect. It's like if you give up a base runner, you start freaking out because you're thinking, oh, my God, if I give up two runs, we're not going to be able to win the game. Game's done. And it's unbelievable. It's 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 insane. Um. And I tried to play that uh, those odds on a bet I made the other day when the Guardians were beating the White Sox one nothing in the seventh inning. I bet the over under on the, the live over under on the game under two and a half. And then the guy who's o for the century this month, Mike Zanino, hits a two run home run, and I lose my bet. <laughs> and I can be mad at it because. We ended up winning three to nothing, so we didn't need that two-run home run. I didn't need that two-run home run. I lost the damn bet because of it. Friggin' Mike Zanino. That's the sort of thing that only happens because you laid the bet. I know. Like, there's he would, no he, way yeah, that would. He would have popped up behind home plate if I didn't place that bet. No. That is a sports betting and Murphy's I, law right there. And then I went and I went and I looked at the play. I, I watched the highlights. Well, because you know Bally Sports, I I can't watch the damn game, so I have to watch the highlights after the game on, on uh, 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 Twitter, and if it would have been like, a, okay, he turned on the ball and he hit it like 450 feet, okay, fine. No, the pitcher that was pitching throw, was throwing 100 miles an hour, threw a uh, fastball to the outside corner, and Zanino literally just stuck his bat out and hit a 330-foot home run just over the fence uh, to just opposite right field. Right the corner. Yeah, to yeah. opposite field because uh, he just stuck his damn bat out. Oh, God. Sports betting is not making me bitter at all. No, not not even a little bit. No, no. I mean, uh, we're already talking about it. The week that was with the Cleveland Guardians, uh, yeah, not good. First of all, 
They got swept by the Mets. Oh, God. I don't God. care who you are. That's not good. Not only did they get swept by the Mets, they blew every game. They were winning in every game. Every game, and they blew all of them. Did the Mets win on walk-offs in all three of these games? Not walk-offs, lost... no. Okay, because but... they, they won every game by one run. So that's <laughs> One of them, I think, was a walk-off. Uh, yeah, because Francisco Lindor got the game-winning hit. Go figure. Hmm. Uh, you know, our Emmanuel Classe leads the league in saves, and he also leads the league in blown saves. That's not a, it's not a good sign. <laughs> yeah. We got that, and then we got then we got uh, uh, Fidgety McFidget and James Karinchak, who uh, who just cannot understand the concept of the pitch clock. I don't know how many violations he's had of the pitch clock so far this year because he he fidgets when he when he uh, tries to throw his next pitch. He Yard. flips the ball in the in the air like four times, and then he's looking around. He throws it in his glove, and then he's look at it. he's modern day John Rocker. You know how you know you suck. <laughs> When you have people on the family group text who don't watch baseball, who could care less about the Guardians, are texting about how bad you are. That's what's going on with my aunts and uncles about Karen Jack. <laughs> it it hasn't it hasn't been great. It's been it's been a rough start to the season. And you got you got Tito Francona in the post game saying you know, it's May, and he's saying, well, we're going to find out about a lot of things here soon. And it's just, I mean, it's that. You got, you're bringing up guys from the minors and then not playing them. Like, they brought up they brought up Bo Naylor, uh, the catcher, and then he just doesn't play. Like, why would you bring up a prospect and not play? If you're bringing somebody up from the minors, put them in the lineup. Right. I mean, we send guys down because – they're not playing. They're not getting reps. So we send them down so that they'll actually play every day. Yeah. So this is the opposite of that. Why would you bring a guy up and not play him? I don't know. We got nineteen uh, middle influ- middle infielders in the in the minor league system that we're also bringing up and just not giving like. I don't know. You need to trade some of those guys. Uh, exactly. But I also think there's a little bit not not that not that it's like uh, it, it's it's a detriment right now. Like not that it's like a. Uh, uh, threatening to blow up the organization, but I do think there's a little bit of a discord right now between management and uh, the front office, hmm. like the coaching staff and the front office, about bringing some of these guys up and playing them and when to play them and where to play them and you know s- s- that sort of thing. So, and listen, uh, disagreement can be healthy. I'm not saying that like there's like dysfunction in the Guardians organization right now over some of these things, but. You know, when you're losing, everything gets magnified. So if we're winning and this stuff was happening with these young players coming up and not playing, nobody would say anything. Nobody no, would care. Nobody would care. But the fact of the matter is we're what, 21 and 26? 21 and 28. 21 and 28 is our record. Yeah, you lost three straight to the Mets, and then you lost two or three to, to the White Five Sox. Five out of six to the Mets and White you Sox. You got blanked 6 nil by the White Sox today. That's pathetic. <sighs> it's I'm not sorry. even... It's not. Thank God I can't watch can't watch this on Bally's right now because it's an unwatchable product. They're ten and fourteen at home. You know what's hilarious? Hilarious too. I th- I think they're still only like four games out of the in the loss column out they're, of first place. They're four and a half out and four out in the loss column behind. Minnesota. That's 
crazy. The Tigers the are actually in second. The Guardians are third. The Guardians could could have like a six and one week and be like one game out of first, or even be in the lead. Yeah, if Minnesota has a really bad week. Yeah, yeah it's unbelievable. I, I I think I saw a stat that said that the uh, the AL Central this year in games played against teams outside of the division are like fifty and one hundred four. That makes sense when you look at the records of everybody. The twin, yeah, the Twins are plus two. The Tigers are minus four. The Guardians are minus seven. The White Sox are minus nine, and the Royals are minus twenty. Yeah. So, yeah, doing the quick math here, that's minus thirty-eight. Yeah. Obviously, division games wouldn't count in that. So, yeah, it would be like sixty and a ninety-eight or something like that. But, I mean, whew, yeah, it's not bad. Good. It is bad. Um, but. It is baseball, so there we've played forty nine games. Mm-hmm. We have a hundred and thirteen left. Yeah, so there's more I, than a third of the season left, or as, more than two thirds of the season. And left. as much as I'd like to just say, yeah, you know, it's 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 springtime. The Guardians don't hit their stride usually until July. Tio's statement there that you read off earlier that we're gonna find out about some things. That seems a little more ominous than what I would have expected out of him. Yeah, well, I mean, you know? he, they need to because they can't hit. Yeah, it, it's almost I mean, it's almost like last year was fool's gold because a lot of these young players had seasons that they they may never have again in their careers. That's the worst. Uh, you find out that oh, these these guys are young, they're talented, they're playing good, right? And then you find out that oh, they all just had career years, and now you just have to rebuild like that. Th- let's hope that's not what this is. But and again. And again, this could be maybe a down because the majority of our club is young. This could be just a down year, and maybe next year, you know, if they bring the same core back, next year they might turn it on again. You know, they're still young players, so there's not yeah. really that track record yet. Where you know, if a guy starts, if a guy's like a two seventy five career hitter and he starts the first month and a half batting like one eighty, like you're not freaking out because law of averages in baseball, you, you, he's going to get hot at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but these young players still don't have track records. I mean, you know, one one year is not long enough to to you know feel comfortable with a guy that goes through a, um, a six week slump and be like, oh, it's fine. He'll he'll snap out of it. He's done it before. Most of these guys have never done it before. No. So it's uh it's going to be really interesting. They are they are hopefully about to get Tristan McKenzie back. That's huge. Um, Aaron Savali. What do you do with the conundrum of Shane Beaver? Because the Guardians are not going to sign him to a long-term contract. We know that. He has a contract through next year with the team. Do you, with the way things are going, now obviously you probably still, you're going to wait until the trade deadline. So you've got, a couple months so maybe the team turns it around and you think you can go on a run and you don't but do you move him at the trade deadline if the team is where they are in the standings now or worse yes yeah I agree I definitely agree because there will be a contender out there that will pay up big time in terms of prospects and maybe cash considerations so yeah yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, for a frontline starter for a playoff contender going into the playoffs, absolutely. Yeah, he'll draw top dollar for yeah. sure, especially because he has another year on his contract. Well, that's the thing. So, so if you're the Guardians, you got to tra- you either got to trade him this trade deadline or uh, in the off season. Yeah. So, 
I mean, you wait till next trade deadline. Unless you're you not gonna get, like you're not gonna have get somebody like take a flyer on a two month rental, thinking like, they can get a deal done with it. Yeah, afterwards. but but your but your your uh, your return on investment is not going to be. It very won't good. be as good. So, no. um, but luckily we're not to that point yet. Again, even if we stink up the joint for the next couple weeks, uh, the trade deadline's not until the end of July, so um, we don't have to wait on that. But uh, yeah, uh, not good. Right now with the Guardians, there's really nothing good going on with them right now, to be honest with you. No. It's never positive. When Other you, than the fact that they're home you, they're home for Memorial Day weekend, so they're probably going to get some big crowds this weekend at the ballpark. And they're playing against a team they don't get to play against very much, St. Louis Cardinals. Yeah. You know, that's a desirable series. And to me, that's like that's better than the Yankees or the Red Sox coming in. We saw, I'm concerned. we saw the the then Indians uh host the uh, Cardinals back in uh Ninety-eight. Yes, when, uh, we did. When when Mark Mark McGuire, Mark McGuire hit, hit that two two thirds up the scoreboard, bomb off of the support beam. Off yeah, the, <laughs> that would have been completely out of the ballpark if it wasn't for that. Yeah, just absolute <laughs> Titanic blast. Unbelievable. It was majestic too because we had seats out in right uh, 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 in the upper deck and right field. Upper deck and right field where the bunkers and are. And when now. he hit that, you could see the ball fly out, and it hit, and it was just crazy. In the first inning, and it was almost like a hundred degrees that day. It was, the sweat was just dripping off my face yeah. as we were walking up the stairs. It was just crazy. Yep. yep, yep, yeah. So that was a nice trip down memory lane, real quick. Yeah, uh, that was a good season, '98. It was. The Indians made it to the ALCS. You know, the, the only reason they didn't win the title that year is because they came up against the Yankees team that won what 112 games or something ridiculous yeah. like that. Yeah. That was the uh, beginning of the Yankees' three-peat. That's right. That is right, yeah. Which would have been a four-peat if it wasn't for uh, Luis Gonzalez and the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks. Yeah. What a hell of a series. That Yeah, the Yankees were three outs away from a four-peat. They had Mariano yeah. Rivera on the mound, and the Diamondbacks somehow managed to, to beat that. Yep, the little bloop job into into right right past second base into the I'll, outfield. I'll never forget the analyst in that moment said, and there was one out at the time, and the bases were loaded. He said the Yankees should be playing at double play depth instead of bringing the infield in. If they were, what a call! Because yep. that would have been an out. If yeah. They been. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. So yeah. Uh, hopefully some big big crowds at the ballpark. Hopefully the Guardians can somehow just just get it turned around. They just you know they just need a game where they score like fourteen runs. Where they just it's like like one of those games where they get out all their pent up frustration and they just it's not the Guardians' mo because uh, they don't hit home runs they just don't but a game where they hit like four or five home runs score fourteen runs and, and beat the Cardinals fourteen uh, two but as baseball it, is if that were to happen you know for damn sure the next game we're getting shut out it better be something like fourteen because the Guardians just had a game last week where they put up nine and lost ten lost. nine yeah. So. <laughs> Oh. Then the next day they lose two one. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's the week that was with the Guardians. Uh, Cleveland Browns started OTAs this week. Yay! I know. <laughs> it's just a bunch of bunch of uh, a bunch of really video fit guys, mostly <laughs> rich guys doing workouts. Yeah, it, it was it was a bunch of video of, videos of Deshaun Watson throwing the ball against air. So on social media, but uh, nothing really to report there. Um, I did see that the NFL is essentially basically getting rid of uh, 
uh, kickoff returns. With this the new was rule something that they have been working on for quite a while because first they moved up the the kickoff line from the 30 to the 35. Then they, they eliminated wedge blocks and a few other plays on the kickoff. Then it was if a Bounces they're, in the end zone. It's not recoverable by the kicking team anymore. Yeah. This rule is essentially they're they're adopting the college rule on kickoffs, where you where can you take you can you can call a fair catch on a kickoff and it automatically goes to the twenty five. That might be the most cockamamie rule that has been introduced at all levels of football yeah. in recent years. I hate that. Yeah. Because what that is what they're trying to do. So okay, so they move the kickoff line up from the thirty to the thirty five. And now if it bounces in the end zone, it's dead. So yep. naturally what are teams trying to do? You know, this is the age of saber metrics and, you know, analysis and the and the statistics. They're now figuring, okay, well let's have the kicker pop it up and land it inside the ten or even better inside the five and make them return it so they can't get it back to the twenty five. That's what this rule is now designed to weed out. Yeah. Can't win. Pretty much. Well, why, I mean, even, why even have kickoffs at this point? Why just, did you just well, give that, it to I them think, 25? I think, that's, I think that's eventually what they're going for. Yeah. Um, and obviously all of, this, all of the special teams people, like the ones in media, are just blasting this. Pat McAfee blasted it today on his show. Josh Cribbs. Uh, Josh Cribbs talked about it on uh, – Oh, where was uh was he on RBS this morning? I can't remember. But yeah, he talked about it. Um Wherever yeah. Devin Hester is, he should be probably talking about uh, it. all special teams coaches and coordinators are against it. Obviously, it's job security for them. I mean, Let's they're say, basically taking away part of their job. Yeah. So, um but yeah. So, uh yeah, that's that's pretty much it for for football right now. Um Roger Goodell is is about to get a four year contract extension. Yay! Uh, four more years of getting to boo him at the NFL draft. Yeah, great. Um, so that's pretty much it. Uh, we're well now. Hang on a second. I have to throw a shout out to my mother's longtime boss and great guy, Kerry Boobles, the president of the Vegas Golden Knights of the NHL. His team is on the precipice of the Stanley Cup Finals. Oh, what does this have to do with the NFL? They're, oh, I, I thought you were going to end the episode. That's why. I no, 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 okay. no. No, we still got to talk about what happened at the PGA. Well, we can talk about that, but I want to get this in first because Vegas is up three to nil in the Western Conference Finals. Yep. The Vegas Golden Knights, as some of you might recall, made it to the Stanley Cup Finals in their inaugural season, which is just mind-blowingly difficult to do. They've now overcome the ridiculous five-minute major screw job they had against the Sharks the next year, and they've kind of retooled. And now they've they're back on the precipice of it. And this this series, we actually could be waiting a little while for the start of this series because the Florida Panthers are up three nil on the Carolina Hurricanes on the other side. So the eight seed, another one, different sport, but that's a little more common in the NHL than it is in the NBA. But well, but still, that's. They they took out still a big deal. They they beat the beat the top seed first of all. Not just the top seed, the greatest regular season team in NHL history. Boston. Yeah, that's what makes it awesome because well, Boston they can, they can yeah. just go, you know, yeah. suck an egg. <laughs> suck something, I'll tell you that. You know, Hey-o. but uh, yeah. So the Florida Panthers, I, if I recall, the Florida Panthers were the number one seed 
the prior year, and they flamed out. So now they're the eighth seed, and now naturally they're going all the way. And this was one of the teams that we eliminated immediately in our NHL 24 game last year. But uh, they're slinging the rats on the ice in Fort Lauderdale, and they could be doing it in the Stanley Cup Finals coming up. But hopefully it will not be their championship to take. I'm rooting all the way for Vegas and for Mr. Boobles and his organization to take home the title. Yeah. That would be awesome. Lift Lord Stanley's cup. Jack. Excuse me. Sorry. My goodness. Uh, The PGA was this weekend. Uh, Brooks Kepka takes home. You know, Brooks. uh, (sighs) Brooks Kepka. He's going to be now. Now, this isn't me saying that he's as good because I'm not. He's going to be the guy that comes closest to that echelon of Tiger and Jack in this generation. He just won his fifth major. That's you a know, bunch. You know he has more major wins than he does uh, regular PGA Tour wins? He has nine wins on tour. Five of them are majors in his career. And now, guy, well, guy well, shows now, up in the big moments. And now, obviously, he's, he's on live, so he doesn't play in any PGA tur- tournaments unless they're the they're the majors. But um, yeah, won the PGA for a third time already. I do find it fascinating that the those PGA guys are not oh, excuse me all those live guys are not banned from playing in the PGA Championship. Yeah, you would think, right? Uh, Out of all the majors, you'd figure that that'd be the one they'd be banned from. And of course, the PG of course the PGA <laughs> is the one that one of the live golfers wins first. <laughs> I mean, Brooks finished second at the Masters, but he didn't win the Masters. He's having a hell of a year. He was second at yeah. Augusta and is now first here. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so that was great. That was obviously a big story. But the story of the weekend was a underdog story unlike, they, unlike we have seen, uh, especially in golf. Golf pro Michael Block. Now, most people would think, oh, you said golf pro. He, he, you know, he is a professional golfer. Yeah, but there's a difference. Well. There's a difference between a professional golfer and a club professional. Yes. Most clubs, mostly private clubs, but there, there are public, public clubs too, will have club professionals, basically. Essentially, he's like the golf pro that sometimes plays PGA Tour events. He gives lessons at the home club uh, and stuff like that. This Michael Block guy, I can't remember the club he's he's the pro at in California. Can't remember, but he <laughs> he finishes fifteenth at the PGA Championship this weekend. At the fifteenth, was it the? I think it was the fifteenth hole, wasn't it? Yes. 15th hole on Sunday. Final round. Par three. He's, again, he's he's in the top 20. So his his la- final day pairing was with one of the big boppers. He he played with Rory McIlroy. He couldn't believe it when it, when he when he was told. He was playing. He's like, no, I'm not playing with Rory. Get out of here. So he ends up playing with Rory, Rory McIlroy. He gets to the 15th hole. He's obviously not in contention to win at this point, but... He's like 15th and a major. He's like eight shots off the lead, maybe nine, something like that. Comes up to the par three 15th, 
He flies it in for an ace. The Fuff. I think you're going to agree with me, but I don't know, so I'll ask you. Is that the feat in sports that – is that the most difficult feat in sports, to fly in a freaking – Not just hole-in-one, which is hard enough, but to actually yeah. dunk it. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's it's almost a physical impossibility. I mean, how wide is a, is a, is a, is a hole? Isn't it like – Three inches? Yeah. The ball itself the has like got to be like an inch, inch and a half in diameter. Ah, so you're only talking about an area that will fit like two and a half or three golf balls yeah. to begin with. And you have to hit that from 100 or even 200 some yards away. Right. And, and most and of it has like, to go in at a high enough trajectory to where it can actually fall in yeah. directly and not like bounce and roll and all that. Yeah, yeah. Or I mean, like, or like hit the, or like hit the lip of the, of the cup and like shoot twenty feet to the left or something, you know, something like that. Oh, talk about an fu! Like <sighs> does that, or it hits the flag and, the and goes off the green or yeah. something. Yeah. But that that is the crazy one, of the craziest things I've ever seen, and we've uh, like we've seen it before. This isn't the first time somebody's flown in an ace, but like every time you see it, you're like, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's like the law of physics. It's like it it doesn't seem like it's something possible. And it's not really skill, right? It's luck because, like, when when you're teeing off on a par three, are you aiming at the hole? Yes. yes. But in your thought process, you're like, this would be a freaking fantastic shot if I get this within, like, 10, 15 feet. Yes. Like, you're not aiming to, to fly the ball in the hole because it's, like you said, it's almost a statistical impossibility. And, and on courses like this, so a lot of times the green slopes so much that you know when you get to a golf on this level that you're actually aiming toward maybe not directly at the flag, but some other part of the green to where it's going to land and it's going to roll down like toward the flag, yeah. ideally. Yeah. You know, but yeah, the craziest one of the cra- and especially because it was it was him, right? He had had the good story going on all weekend. He did, and he was the story. The media attention was, the story was on of the him. tournament. And then he did that on Sunday. This wasn't Thursday when nobody knew who he was. This right. wasn't even Saturday when the media attention was starting to ramp up. This was literally with four holes to go. Playing with Rory McIlroy. What was a hilarious thing was, if you go back and watch, he didn't even react. He didn't even think he did it. He's just like standing there, and Rory McIlroy comes up to him, like gives him a hug, like, dude, you just flew the ball. And he's like, no, I didn't. He's like, no, get the hell out of here. You could hear it. Like There are yeah. videos where you could, they, like, they... They pick him up, like his audio. And it's like, no, no way. Get out of here. Like he didn't even believe he thought everybody was having a you know, because he's the he's the guy he's the you yeah. know, the club pro, he's the blah blah blah. Like they were just making fun of him. No, dude, you freaking flew it in. Unbelievable. I mean, let's be honest here. When you're that close to the end and you're inside the top twenty, top fifteen, you're closing in on a six digit paycheck. Yeah. You know, every shot could count for a lot of money. Yes. And that count, that counted for a ton. Yeah. I mean, that, that shot alone probably made him six, six fit. Six probably. Fakes. Yeah. Cause I mean, I don't know what his payout was. I'm guessing it was probably like quarter million, but it might've only been like 125,000, 150,000, yeah. you know, so he was two or three spaces back. So it's funny was uh, I read an article where, uh, he, he charged before playing in the PGA, he charged $150 an hour for a lesson. How much do you think he's charging now? 
Didn't Jim Nance ask him that question? I, oh, that was that it? And I he, think, and he kind of just gave a non-response. But like, I mean, it's got it's <laughs> got to be it's got to be like five hundred an hour now. Now, yeah, I mean, like this guy, unbelievable. Good for him, man. Well, the the thing is, he may not even have. I mean, I'm sure he loves his job. He's gonna do continue to do that. Oh, but yeah, but he earned enough money in this championship to probably have a temporary tour card for the remainder of the season. Yeah. That's usually the way that works in the majors. If if you happen to make it into a major and because this happened in the, in the, the British open, the open championship many times yeah. you had these few, like the way the year Ben Curtis won. And then the year I think Todd Hamilton won after that, you know, these guys who, you know, didn't even have full tour cards. Well, they sure did after that. And I think, uh, because he finished in the top 15, I think he's automatically invited back to the PGA next year. PGA next year, and I don't know if that gets him into the U.S. Open as well. It might. Yeah. Or the Open Championship. But Oh, uh, God. Where are they? Oh, they're playing. Uh, the Open is at uh, Royal Liverpool, isn't it? I believe so, yes. Yeah. On Merseyside. Yeah. God, could you imagine if, it, if, if you did that, you automatically qualified, and it was at St. Andrews? Mm. <sighs> the home of There golf. is a history of just random – Americans that nobody's heard of winning. I just mentioned two of them yeah. win, winning the Open Championship. So like, yeah, I mean, who knows? Crazy, <laughs> crazy, crazy stuff. But uh, yeah, I just I love golf, man. Just absolutely love it. Um. Okay. So before we end the episode, uh, I'm not going to talk about my team because <laughs> we lost to our rival. But uh, over the last uh, several weeks. Uh, we've kind of ended the episode most of the time with me talking about my soccer team and our uh, big accomplishments um, this season. But uh, the tides have turned this week, and uh, let's talk about your team. Hmm. Let's talk about the Toon Army, the Magpies. What happened with them? So for this story, you got to go all the way back to 2017. Well, we've only got a couple minutes. I know. That was the year I got the tour of St. James's Park. I got to go to Newcastle for the first time. And they had just come up from the FL Championship, the second tier of English football at the time. Next few years, they're kind of run by a tightwad owner. And, you know, this is sort of Cleveland Guardians esque. You know, they just, you know, they did just enough to kind of survive and you know, not be like in relegation danger every year, but like just you know, like 13th, 14th in the league. And the team was making money, and that's pretty much all the owner cared about, and blah, blah, blah. And they get that got them, you know, you know, they're not like any of these crazy teams like Manchester City or Everton or Barcelona who are drowning in FFP violations and stuff. But, you know, just good little team. Well, that all changed last year when the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia took over the club. And let's let's be fair here. Chairwoman Amanda Staveley and her team, they didn't go completely hog wild with the spending, but they spent. They brought in some guys, $40, $50 million a pop, guys like Bruno Guimaraes in midfield, Alexander Isak up top, Nick Pope, it's the goalkeeper, Sven Botman, center back, Kieran Trippia, the, the right back. But what they also did, they went out around the same time, they, they sacked they got off to a really bad start last year, and they sacked Steve Bruce. They brought in Eddie Howe, who had done great work at Bournemouth, uh, a team on England's south coast. And he comes in, and one of the first things I noticed about right out the gates this year, and actually late last year, was how much he made players that were already there better. Guys like 
Joe Linton was probably the biggest example because he was just a guy who was just completely lost for his whole first year in Newcastle. He comes back. They put him in a new position on the pitch, and almost immediately he does great. Callum Wilson, another guy who was just kind of up and down but mostly down last year. He comes out, scores 18 goals this season. Um, and, and there were other examples of this as well. Sean Longstaff, another just guy who had played for the team for six, seven years, central midfielder. He comes out and maybe his stats weren't so great, but like he was one of the glue guys, you know, uh, maybe call him the Jared Allen of this team. You know, when he wasn't in, you could just tell that their creative flair and their attacking prowess just wasn't quite there. You know, you have a guy in there doing the dirty work on the other side just to make sure you maintain possession. So, they had all this going on, and they went on a huge winning run in October, November, December, leading up to the World Cup. They were in third place at that time. They had a little bit of a swoon in February where they were you know, tying a lot of games. They tied a lot of games this season. But they come out, they get a bunch of key results in March to get back into the top four, and then there were two results down the stretch where they absolutely embarrassed other top eight teams in the league. The first one was when they played Tottenham Hotspur. Oh, my goodness gracious. They come out, (laughs) and this was a game for the top four. Tottenham was in fifth place at the time. They come out, and they scored five goals in the first 20 minutes of this game. (laughs) This game was just, I mean, if it was boxing or UFC, this game would have been stopped in the first 20 minutes. Then, you know, a few more up and down results, mostly up. They had a couple of, they had one where they played against Aston Villa. They played Dumpy. They lost 3-0. But for the most part, the results stayed pretty good until they get to last Thursday where they played Brighton. This was a rearranged fixture because of you know other games in the League Cup and the FA Cup. Brighton was having a great season as well. Another team on England's south coast. Another team that's not one of the traditional heavyweights. But they were in sixth place coming into this game. Newcastle was third. Newcastle clobbers them 4-1. And that, more or less, coupled with Liverpool dropping points on the weekend, more or less clinched the Champions League, which was officially confirmed when Newcastle played a game against Leicester City, who's fighting for their lives to try to stay up in the league. They're in 18th place right now, trying to avoid relegation. And it was a very unlucky game for Newcastle. They hit the the post three different times in this game. Um, But they end up getting the point they needed uh, with a nil-nil draw. They are in the Champions League for the first time in 20 years and in any European competition for the first time in 10 years that was the first year I started following Newcastle in 2013 they were in the Europa League they made it they beat medalist Kharkiv and Anzi Machachkala in the first two rounds of the knockout stage before getting beat by Benfica in the quarterfinals of that competition that was the last time they were in a competition of this magnitude and now their their work is cut out for them because the way the teams are ranked when they go to, to determine the pots, who's going to get in what group, Dan's very well aware of this because AC Milan actually struggled with this in recent years. They're all given the uh, what's called the UEFA coefficient based on how they've played in UEFA competitions in the last five years. Newcastle has not played in the UEFA competition in the last five years. Yeah. So their UEFA coefficient is zero. So that means they literally will be put in the hardest possible group almost surely. Yeah, they will more than likely be in the group of death. And actually, um, given what given what uh, transpired in Serie A with Juventus on this past weekend, oh, what a story that is! Uh, 
it looks like, unless they completely, essentially, unless they get Blunt, unless huge they get unless they get no points of the final two match days, are going to end up back in the Champions League, when it looked incredibly bleak before uh, Juventus had their uh, point penalty reinstated. Um, so it is possible because I, I saw a projection that AC Milan was going to be in pot three. It is possible that our two teams might play each other in the Champions League next that year. That would be absolutely fantastic. I would absolutely love that. It would be insane. Yeah, it would be insane. Um, so, yeah. So, hopefully that happens. Uh, <laughs> Milan are three points clear of fifth place with two games to play. That's Atalanta who's chasing them. Then Roma's also in that mix. They're four points back. But uh, definitely on Milan. Basically, they just need to win more and more games. Yeah, but I think Atalanta plays... Atalanta plays Inter, I think. Uh, okay. This or next, so. so even if Atalanta wins that game, that means Inter drops three points. Maybe Milan. Oh, Milan's only two points behind Inter. They might drop, jump them. Yeah. So. So. Um, yeah. Basically, just, win one uh, more game and they're in. Yeah. So Milan actually plays Juventus this weekend, and then uh, they end the season uh, with Hellas Verona. So. Um, Team that's fighting like hell to avoid relegation. They're in yeah. the 18th place. I'm just hoping that uh, Milan can. Take care of business against Juve and uh, slam the door shut there. So, um, by any means necessary, just get top four. That's all that matters. So, yeah. But uh, all right, that uh, that uh, exhausts our soccer allotment uh, for this week. And Have that, we hit just about every sport in this podcast? We I even mentioned horse racing at the start of this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> There won't um, be a triple crown this year. Sorry. No. But uh, well, that's going to do it for us on this episode of Living Off the Land 258. Appreciate you guys listening. You can follow us on social media. At Stiffs McGee. And at Daniel J. Ford. You can follow the show at the LOTL podcast. And we will be back next week. We've got some things cooking in the fire uh, for this summer uh, as far as content goes. So hopefully we'll be able to reveal more of that next week. But uh, I like yeah. what you did there. So a little tease for next week. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, hope you guys have a great Memorial Day weekend. Uh, spend it outside. The weather's going to be great. It's going to be freaking gorgeous. It's going to be cold. To, it's going to be cold tomorrow, Thursday. But uh, Friday will be in the 60s, and then we'll be back in the 70s uh, for the weekend. So. 70s and sunny. Yep. Perfect. Oh, yeah. perfect. Get out on the golf course. Throw some meat on the grill. And, uh, you know, do some yard Sit work, Sit outside too. by the bonfire afterward. It'll be, you know, just chilly enough at night to do that, yeah. you know. Maybe I'll try and do that this weekend, do a little bonfire. But, uh, yeah, so have a great weekend, guys, uh, and we'll see you next week. See ya. Bye.